Good morning, everybody. So we're in First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, we'll be starting in verse 13. And uh, just by way of review, um, earlier in chapter 4, uh, Paul has been talking about uh, it's important uh, how you live your life. Uh, it's important uh, how you c- comport yourself um, uh, not just with uh, the outsiders, but also it's important on how you relate to God. And we saw this, um, we saw this phrasing in verse 1. It says, uh, Finally, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, uh, and he goes on and says, I want you to do this more and more. So here he's talking about how to walk and to please God. And then we saw that last week um, it also mattered uh, how you uh, took care of yourself in front of others. Uh, at the end of um, this passage, uh, we'll, uh, we'll see that um, all of this is designed to be an encouragement. But there is a, a, a bit of a shift in topic uh, as we start to uh, verse 13. He says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. This phrasing, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, um, is one of Paul's little uh, phrasings that he uses to, del- to designate hey, I'm changing the subject here. And this is uh, just a way of him introducing things, and it is um, uh, a reminder, I guess, that you know all the chapters and verses that we have in our Bible were put into our, our Bibles uh, hundreds of years after the canon was completed. Uh, so just a lot of this is probably as he was speaking, as he was thinking, as... Perhaps scribes were involved writing some of this down and just a natural change in topic that he's highlighting here. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed. Some translations say, I don't want you to be ignorant, um, which sometimes we think of ignorance as a, uh, uh, as, as a, as a put down. But, you know, truly it just means I don't know what I don't know, right? Uh, I'm, I'm ignorant of that. And, and uh, there are, we've all seen people who, they just don't know what they don't know, right? Um, and so we would say they were ignorant, and we would be true about that. Uh, and Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Uh, what about these people that are asleep? Um, this is uh, talking about people who have died. Now, the, the big idea here is and there's some assumptions, but apparently one of the questions that has come to Paul, um, perhaps by way of report from Timothy, perhaps by a letter, that uh, there was um, a real question because some of the people who had become Christians had died before the Lord came back. And what about these people? And did they did they miss it? Um, what's to happen to them? And because... Uh, what the pagans thought of death was that it was over, that it was over. And, and that concept that, you know, you live and then you die was pervasive in the culture. And so how does that relate to when the Lord came? And um, 
One commentator says, in this passage, Paul is dealing with a fairly narrow question. The fate of believers who die before Christ returns. Uh, that is the main question of this passage. Now, we're going to talk about some other things that are mentioned in this passage, things that I will happily punt to Dad, who just so happens to have next week. Um, <laughs> but it's really helpful if you keep your mind focused on what is his main point, and that is, what about these people who died before Christ came back? Uh, and there was this kind of pagan thought, once you die, it's over. Uh, Wearsby um, mentions a poem that he saw on a uh, tombstone one time in, when he was visiting in England and says, uh, you know, this kind of, uh, in a modern way, says what the pagans used to believe. He says, or the epitaph says, pause, my friend, as you walk by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. Prepare, my friend, to follow me. Some wise guy wrote underneath it, to follow you is not my intent until I know which way you went. <laughs> which, um, the epitaph apparently is true. The other might be conjecture, I don't know, but it, it was kind of funny. Verse 13, when I, when I go through my, um, the passages that I'm going to speak on, I, I like to go through before the commentaries and just see, okay, what, what's the plainest thing this is saying to me? And when I read, but we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope, I read this as Paul saying, hear this, there is hope for you. There's hope for you. And I think that's the theme for this whole thing is that he's giving us hope. Um, this idea of death being referred to as sleeping, uh, we see this. I'll just turn briefly. You can if you want. But this is the incident that several Gospels mention, and I'll be looking at uh, Luke's version in chapter 8. This is um, Jesus healing Jairus' daughter. Uh, verse 40 of Luke 8 says, Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. And on his way to Jairus' house is when he meets the woman who had the prolonged illness and the bleeding, and that happens while this is all going on, in verse 49, it says, While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter except him, Peter, and Jan, John, and James, and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, Do not weep. For she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he, he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed. He said, Don't tell anybody what happened. The idea here is 
not that you really are sleeping when you're dead, but the idea is that death is such an unequal match for Jesus, you might as well just be sleeping in terms of his ability to raise you. That was the point there. This leads us into verse 14. It says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so Jesus, God, will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Those who have fallen asleep. So he's talking about those who, um, who have died. Okay. Verse 14 is interesting. Uh, just a little, It was just a very minor thing, but it was interesting to me nonetheless. Um, the ESV says, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Uh, the NIV has gone through a couple of, a re- of revisions. Uh, when, it was, uh, when it was first released in 1984, um, they didn't include the word for. It just says, uh, I forget how it goes, believing or something. Um, but when they revised it, they went back and, and put the four back in there, which is a very minor thing. But I think they realized they made a little mistake because there's a word there that connects verse 13 and verse 14. So it says, I don't want you to grieve as others do who have no hope. This was Paul's description of the people, the outsiders that he's been talking about. Uh, Those who have no hope. Those would be the outsiders that he had talked about. Um, For what about this hope? Well, it's since, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again. That's why we can have hope, because we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Just because Jesus died and rose again, then he is powerful enough when we die for us to rise again. It's not that complicated, but it was, Paul very much wanted to make this connection. If you believe that Jesus died and rose again, then you can have confidence that God's going to do the same for you. It says, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep those who have died. Verse 15. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. It says, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. So commentators have wrestled with, well, what does that mean? Does this mean that Paul is referring to something that Jesus said that, you know, just didn't end up being recorded in the Gospels? Um, or was this a direct revelation that, that Paul had received um, We don't really know the answer to that, but it could have come either way. He says, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. In other words, Paul's just putting some authority behind it. We who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So there was this, I mean, think about it. What was was the big message 
that Peter gave at Pentecost. The gist of it was Messiah has come, right? Christ, Jesus Christ, he's the Messiah. He's the anointed one. He's the king. He's the one that the Old Testament has been teaching about, right? They were pointing people back to the Messiah of the Old Testament saying this was Jesus. Well, everybody expected the Messiah to make some changes, to bring justice and right what was wrong and all those sorts of things. And, and that, of course, was part of the disappointment when, when he died on the cross because all that hope died as Jesus did, but that hope was amazingly resurrected as Jesus was, but they still didn't know what that was going to look like. They, they were starting to get the idea that this new kingdom that he kept talking about, this Messiah thing that, okay, if it, if it didn't refer to what we thought it did, then it still must be something amazing. And, and they were expecting it to happen just along the sequence of events. What well, hadn't happened yet. And now people were dying and they didn't know what to think about it. Did those people miss it? And here he's saying very clearly, those of us that are alive have no advantage over those who have already died. In fact, I don't know if it's, yeah, I guess it's in the next verse, but if you die before Christ comes, you almost have a little bit of an advantage. That's kind of what he's saying here. Now, I'm not sure I'd be in a hurry to get that advantage, but it's nice to know, right? We declare by the word of the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Now, here he's going to start to explain things a little bit more. For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with the cry of command, with, turn the page, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So those who have, those who have died, who have been in Christ, those that are Christians when they died, they will rise first. The Lord will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel. The dead in Christ will rise first. Okay? Verse 17, Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. What was Paul's purpose for writing this. It was to give hope to the people who were trying to think of what had happened to their Christian brothers and sisters who had already died while they were still waiting for Jesus to come. Paul here is explaining, it's okay. They're going to be raised those that are dead will be raised first, and then we will join them. That was the point. And on he goes to say, so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Um, if you ever start to 
get confused by some of the things that are in this passage. It's worth reminding yourself the whole point of this was not to tell us about the future, except to the extent that it affects our ability to have hope, right? Here, Paul gives us everything we need to have hope. What do we learn from this? When you're dead, you're not really dead because you're, you're in Christ. And because Jesus was raised from the dead, you can have faith that you will also be raised from the dead. And not only that, you'll get a little head start over the rest of the people who haven't died yet. Right? You get to see Jesus first. That's really the whole point. Now, we do find some interesting, some might say tantalizing things in this passage that make us wonder about end times, eschatology as it's called. Another thing to remind yourself of, this is the earliest writing about that whole topic in all the Bible right? Way before the Gospels were written, way before Revelation was written, this is what was first put down about, it says, verse 15, where it says, this we declare to you by word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord. Uh, some of you may have heard the, the uh, Greek word parousia, um, which means the coming of the Lord. That's where that word shows up. So when, when if you're in a commentary or something, you see this term, what about the parousia? They're talking about the coming of the Lord. And here we have the coming of the Lord talked about for the very first time in Scripture since, since the resurrection, okay? Um, some people have made the point that Everything in here is paralleled in the gospel, but they were written after. Some people think, we've talked about Silvanus or Silas, right? Uh, Paul and Silas. In scripture, Silas is mentioned as a prophet. Some people think Silas was one of the 72 that was called and went out and, you know, they did miracles and so forth in Christ's name. They came back and reported. Some people think maybe he, he was one of those 72, and some people think that it may have been Silas who heard all of these teachings, this big passage in Matthew where Paul talks, I mean, um, Jesus talks about how things are going to be at the great judgment. Um, a lot of people think Silas heard those things, and it's Silas that's infusing maybe some special words from the Lord that Paul got and giving the content for this. Um, here are the things that are mentioned in 1 Thessalonians 4 that are mirrored in the Gospels. One is that Christ returns, that he descends from heaven, that there is a commanding shout, that there's, the message is accompanied by angels, that there's going to be a trumpet, that Christians who have died will rise. 
that believers will be gathered to Christ, that you'll be caught up in the clouds, that you'll meet the Lord, that you'll be with the Lord forever, that you don't know the time. And then there's some additional ones that bleed over into chapter 5 about the suddenness and all those sorts of things. But nobody is in any disagreement about any of those things. But there are some questions as to, well, there's some tension here, and people have come up with some different ways to resolve the tension. When you read this passage, one of the kind of the themes that comes across is everybody, it just seems to me, everybody was kind of expecting the Lord to come back at any moment. Don't you get that idea? This is called people believing in the imminent return of Christ, right? Otherwise, why were, why were they, you know, we've, we've, I don't know if we've come to it yet, I'm confused all the reading, but, um, you know, about not being lazy, you know, people just hanging out, you know, living life, waiting for God to come back, you know, he's saying no, you know, but that was the feel that it could be any moment. So that's kind of one side of the tension. What's the other side of the tension? Well, the other side of the tension is in other places in scripture, it seems that there are other things that are supposed to happen before the coming of the Lord or the day of the Lord. Things like the gospel reaching all nations and some big conversion of the Jews and, you know, Jesus perhaps coming back and dealing with the Antichrist. I mean, there's, there's tension between have these things already happened or... And one of, the, one of the reasons that people's view on end times among Christians sorts out a little differently is basically just how do you resolve that tension? One way to resolve that tension is with this concept of what we call the rapture. So go back and look at verse 16 and 17. For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. This Greek word, which is translated caught up together with them, um, when the Bible was translated into Latin, um, there was a Latin word, which um, is where the word rapture comes from. And so it's this, um, this caught up together. It, it was also used, uh, some people have uh, heard the term being snatched up, right? It was used as a um, wild animal, perhaps snatching somebody, but it was also used to maybe snatch up someone from danger. Okay, so it, it has this immediate kind of feel to it. Um, so this caught up together with him. So you've seen the charts 
that some depict the rapture as the coming of Jesus down from the clouds, low enough that we see him. Uh, he calls us together, all those that are in Christ, the dead in Christ, and then those of us that are still alive, and we meet him in the clouds. But the diagram is very careful to say Jesus doesn't come all the way down to earth, right? Because they say, well, there are other things that are supposed to happen before the official second coming. And so one way of handling that tension is to say, we know he could come back for Christians at any moment. That's what they call the rapture. But we know there's other stuff that needs to happen before the official second coming where he's going to set everything to right and, and judgment will happen and uh, God's wrath will you know, take care of everything, right? It's just one of the ways of handling that tension. Um, it's interesting. Um, if you read through the things that are paralleled in the Gospels, you know, like descends from having a commanding shout, people debate. Okay, is this a shout that only Christians hear? Is this a shout that everyone hears? Um, maybe it's something that everyone hears, but only Christians understand. Because I think it was at the Ascension where a voice from heaven is talking, but those who heard it, they just heard thunder and lightning. Or heard thunder, I guess you don't hear lightning. Um, so you can see that um, you can read this passage and come away with lots of unanswered questions, right? Um, if you don't have some unanswered questions, go back and read it again <laughs> and, and think of some questions because it's, it's... Paul's job here was not to give them an exhaustive look of what end times were going to look like. That was not his job. His job was to tell people, stay alert, keep working, don't worry. If some people die before Christ comes, it's all going to work out in the end, and we're all going to be with Jesus. That was the point. And he leads saying, verse 18, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. This idea that there is and should be an amazing difference between Christians and non-Christians when death is being talked about, I think is something that we've all noticed, right? If you go to a funeral and it's not clear whether the deceased is a believer or not, it's got a totally different tone. A totally different tone. Um, if you go to a funeral where there's the passing of a brother or sister in the Lord, it is really the only context. You know, we talk about the celebration of life. Will it be at 2 p.m. and so forth? Nobody gets to celebrate that but Christians. You can say good things about somebody, acknowledge maybe what they did with their time on earth, but you don't really celebrate that they've died. 
But Christians get to do that. It's a totally different feel, even when the circumstances are horrible. There's a couple of examples. In 1963, four young girls were killed um, by racist bombing in Birmingham, Alabama. At the funeral, Martin Luther King said, I hope you can find some consolation from Christianity's affirmation that death is not the end. Death is not the, a period that ends a great sentence of life, but a comma that punctuates it to a more lofty significance. Death is not a blind alley that leads in the human race into a state of nothingness, but an open door which leads man into life eternal. Let this daring faith, this great invincible surmise, be your sustaining power during these trying days. If you have hope that someone is in Christ, then it can sustain you. It can um, give you hope. Now, is it okay that Christians grieve? Not only is it okay, it's expected, it's mandatory. It's, it's, it'd be strange, bizarre if it, if it weren't. You know, when, when you lose someone that's very close to you, uh, I've, I've seen it from patients I talk to, it's just, it's downright disorienting. And yes, there's bereavement and there's grief. But, but there's, that's not the whole thing, right? Um, Martin Luther King says there's a comma after that. Um, I didn't know about Martin Luther King's words back in the day, but when I spoke at my granddad's funeral, I, I made the point that whenever he finished his emails to me, he would always, he never used periods, he always used a semicolon. I don't know if it's you know, a manual typewriter, that's where the semicolon was or, or what, but it was always a semicolon. And I thought that was really cool because when you have a semicolon, it always means there's something else, right? You never end things with a semicolon. You're always expecting the next thing. And, and that struck me. And I, I think that's kind of the essence of what Paul is getting at. One other story. Uh, back in 2017, a gunman shot three people, one of whom died at Seattle Pacific University, Christian University. And one of um, the professors um, named Richard Steele said, we can experience anger, even rage, but we do not give vent to vengefulness. We can experience intense grief, but we do not lose hope. We recognize the brokenness in ourselves and therefore try to extend compassion and mercy to other people whose brokenness has been unleashed. This is our darkest day and our finest hour. For Christians... It can be a very dark day, but it can be a very fine hour, the way he says, because um, the world should see a difference in how we handle death, right? It's still going to hurt, but there's that something else that we have that, that other people don't. I mean, that can drive everything. It can drive recovery from grief. It can drive evangelism. It can drive a lot of things when you see that we have a hope 
that other people don't. And that goes back to where he said, I don't want you to grieve as others who, as others do who have no hope. So you kind of see both sides of it. On the one hand, Paul's saying, I, I want you to know that you have hope. But I also want you to see the world, they don't have hope. And that other message is, you want as many people from that group to join the group that does have hope. And, you know, throughout Christianity, I think that's been one of the, the amazing things that we get to share with people. If you look at what happens when you die under Seventh-day Adventist or Jehovah's Witnesses or Latter-day Saints or, you know, even the Eastern religions, you know, that you just, you're a dewdrop landing in the ocean and you disappear into nothingness. I mean, <laughs> that, talk about hopeless. It's horrible. But we have hope. And our hope is always connected with, you know, Jesus. First Corinthians, is it 15? You know, Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. Because he did it, we can and that's what we all have to look forward to. So um, I'll pause there, give everybody a little extra time to get to their appointed places, those of you that are in the, the music. But um, uh, any questions or thoughts? We do have a few moments for that.